There are times when people give an extravagant offering or a gift. We don't see many of those, but when they do happen, oftentimes the gift giver and the gift is criticized by others. We're going to see such an incidents in the life of Jesus and his ministry. Let's see what the offering is, what the criticism is, and what Jesus' response to it. We have come to a point in Jesus' ministry through the Gospel of John. And if you have your Bible, and I keep saying, and you should, Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, where we're going to start with verse 1 and 2. Now, this aspect is after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they are going to, in essence, have a thank you party for that. And so it says, Jesus, therefore... Six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Jesus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, I am not a theologian. I'm a lawyer. And one of the uh, advices I got when I was going through law school was when the law is on your side, pound on the law. When the facts are on your side, pound on the facts. And if neither the law or the facts are on your side, pound on the table. And so this first verse gives me some pause because what I've been told are the facts don't line up. Based on a misreading of the scriptures, everyone says that Passover that year was on Friday. So they say, therefore, the Passover on Friday was year 33. But I have been told that the facts are that Jesus' ministry was three and one half years, and I have been told that Jesus was crucified when he was 33. Well, if that's the case, the facts that can't be disputed was that Jesus was born before B.C. 4 because he was born before King Herod the Great death, because King Herod wanted to kill the baby who is the Messiah. So I don't understand how Jesus can be 33 and his crucifixion be on A.D. 33 if he was born before B.C. 4. So I don't, I think this gives us a clue that what people have been telling you about when the Passover happened, they're wrong. Because they misread the scriptures about that they couldn't go to the, the grave to provide for him until after the Sabbath. And because they didn't understand the scriptures, they thought the only Sabbath was on a Saturday, which is going to give them another problem. Well, on that, there was also the Passover there was unleavened bread, and then there was Saturday, the Sabbath. And so there were three, pa- three Sabbaths involved before they could get to Jesus' body. So they're wrong there. The law. If you look at what they're saying, six days before this, 
Passover would have put them basically, as they argue, on Saturday, which would violate the scriptures because you're supposed to rest on Saturday and they're having a party on Saturday. So not being a theologian, I don't understand why the theologians miss these simple facts. So I think Jesus died on Passover, technically, as the lambs were being slaughtered for Passover. And so that could not have been on Friday. So John gives us a very good clue. But there's this party. And so so they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those who was reclining at the table with him. And so we see Martha doing what Martha does best. She likes to serve. That's her ministry. She gets involved. If something needs to be done, she does it. And so I wish there were more Marthas. A lot of people come to church and say, that's a pretty good show for a quarter and then leave. Rather than saying, what needs to be done? What can I do to help? So I, I, I think Martha is a wonderful person. And again, I wish there were, but Lazarus was almost like a guest. So he wasn't helping serving because as we're going to see, he was the spectacle. We're going to see, see that as, so they were reclining at the table. We have this thought that, that they ate like us, that we sit at a table and we're served and we eat off table. They ate off tables, but they were like this high. And they laid on the ground, supported by a forearm, and then they would eat. So they would, their feet would be backwards, and they would be, and they would eat and do whatever. Uh, and so it's, they're not sitting, they're reclining at a table. So that's what it, because they ate in the custom of that day as free men. And so that's how free people ate, and so they ate like that. So unfortunately, besides fish being wrong on the last supper painting, they're also sitting at a table. And so it's a beautiful painting. I've seen the original. They cut Jesus's feet out to make a door. So those things that we think are beautiful and special, not everybody. Okay. So, so he's, Jesus is an honorary guest of this supper. Um, and I find it interesting. All the com commentaries call it dinner. And, and that's because they're not from the South. And so they have this dinner and, and Jesus and Lazarus are, are special guests. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, all four Gospels talk about an incident like this. The problem with Hebrew writings is that they not necessarily always put things in chronological order. And so, because of that, I'm not sure which way to go, but I have a tendency to think that the other recordings and the other gospel place this thing 
before this incident, after this incident, and whatever. So I tend to think that this incident is different from some of the other recordings in, in the other Gospels. I think there are two or more situations where someone comes and, and anoints Jesus. I may be wrong because what's tricky is not only do the Hebrew writings are less concerned about chronology, but, but theme and flow. And sometimes they don't record everything that happened. And so in some of the other gospels that talks about the anointing of Jesus' head and whatever, here it just talks about his feet. Because I think it particularly suits John's narrative to get us to believe in Jesus that he does so. So most people think that this incident is the same as all of them. I'm not comfortable with that. You get to decide what you think. But anyway... What happens is Mary makes this expensive offering. She takes a pound of very costly uh, perfume of pure nard and wiped it with his feet. And we're talking that we're told that there is this fragrance that just spreads over the entire house. Now we're going to be told later that this perfume costs 300 denarii. Now a denarii was basically one day's wage. So the offering that Mary is making is about 10 months worth of work. So she, as a sister of Lazarus and of Mary, uh, Martha, in, I believe, thanksgiving for what Jesus had done and in recognizing that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God, and that she believes that he is, that he is worthy of this offering. But she just doesn't hand him the perfume. He sits at his feet and takes the perfume, the nard, and covers his feet with it. And then wipes it off with her hair signifying that she is, in essence, Jesus' slave. That she will submit to him because in that culture, the lowest part of a person's body, the one you wouldn't want to necessarily expose, the one that no one wants to see and be a part of, is the feet. And she sits at his feet. And she places this costly perfume on his feet and then wipes it with her hair. An extravagant offering, an offering of ten. And not only, like I said, does she just give it to him, she performs an act of servitude and acknowledging whatever you tell me to do, I will do. So often when we come to church or we see a program where we our heart is touched by some type of good deed that needs to be done. We send a check or place money in the offering, and we feel that we have done a good deed. And we have, in essence, done a good deed. The church and other organizations don't run on goodwill. You don't tell the electric company, well, we had a bunch of goodwill today. They want you to pay the bill. 
And so there are certain functions, of our, but that's not all that the offering should be. When we give of our money, we should not only give of our money, but our time. Not only should we give of our money and our time, we should give the Lord our life. And this is what Mary is doing. She's making an extravagant gift. But there, and I'm going to come back to this gift. But there's always criticism. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now, isn't it interesting that Judas is criticizing Mary for what she's doing? And you'll find that a lot of times. People will be generous and will give other people money or give a large sum to the church or other organizations, and they will criticize. Well, Judas, what are you doing for the poor? He criticizes Mary for what she's not doing, but will we'll see that not only does he not do, he does something else. Now, he was said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. So he's going, that could have been given 300 denarii. I could have taken 10 months' wages, and I could have taken a commission. So a lot of times when people criticize us, the honest answer is because they want something instead of us giving it to others. And you'll hear that, especially from non-believers. Why do you spend so much time at the church? Well, what are you doing with your time? What value are you doing in your time? Now, I love watching football. But it's not gaining anybody anything other than my entertainment. So maybe I should spend more time at church than watching football. No. In itself, football is religion. So, no. But again, the situation is, is that people will quickly criticize you for what you're doing, but not do what they criticize you for doing. There are a lot of charities out there. A lot of charities, I don't understand why people give to. I won't name the charity because I don't want to offend the people who like this charity. My grandsons were at a, at a school and they were raising money. And there were three charities that the students would vote on which was going to be the charity that they would give the money. One of the charities... I didn't think much of because I'm not that kind of person. The other two charities, I thought, man, that'd be a tough decision. Which one would they choose? Because both of those are really good charities. They have value because people of whatever. And so when they announced the winner is the one I thought for sure they would not vote for. Not my money, not my time. As my son likes to say, not my cattle, not my ranch. I gave a little money for the thing, but I gave it knowing that not for sure where it would go. But again, I can't criticize where the money went, not mine. I could, and, and my wife and I do give not to that 
particular charity, but for that type of cause, because it touched our hearts and whatever, and we thought that's good. But I can't say you should put it in the charity that I like. What is it that touches your heart? Then do that. But notice Jesus' response. Therefore, it's Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Interesting comment. The first part, he's basically saying, she's doing a good deed. Shut your mouth and let her do it. Kind of like what I've said before. What are you doing? In another incidence, which may be the same or may not be, and, and again, I, I think they're different instances, one of the Pharisees criticizes, and Jesus goes, the woman who's doing this is not ceased crying and wiping, putting her tears on my feet and wiping my feet with her hair. He goes, you didn't kiss me when I came in. You didn't give me any water to clean. Jesus is saying, leave her alone because she's doing good. You've done nothing other than offer a meal. And then he says, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She already placed the fragrance on his body. So it wasn't keeping the fragrance, the perfume for the day of his burial. I believe what Jesus is saying is, when I'm dead, you're going to wish you did more for me. You're going to wish you didn't doubt. You're going, to dis you're going to be sorrowful that you didn't recognize who I was until it seemed too late. But I'm going to remember that I loved you enough that I said I would be your slave. And in those three days that he was buried, she had something to say, at least I showed him I loved him and that I would be his servant. So I think Jesus is saying, she will be able to hold on to that. What are you doing, Judas, other than betraying me? Then he says, for you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is saying, you will always have an opportunity to do good. There are always going to be people in need, whether they're poor, whether they're disabled, whether they're drug addicted or alcohol addicted or whatever their addiction is. There's always an opportunity to do good. But you do not always have Jesus walking with you today. And then we expand the situation the large crowd of the Jews then learned that he, being Jesus, was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So they came to see this spectacle. Here's Jesus, this prophet, this perhaps Messiah, who raised Lazarus from the dead. Let's go see him. And let's go see the guy, the dude that he raised from the dead. It's going to be better than a state fair. Let's go watch him. I mean, and then we'll be able to 
touch him and see and go cool i mean this and then were you there yeah did it happen yeah and they're there for the excitement and again a lot of people come to church not for him but for the excitement well it's a big church they have great music they do awesome things I'm going to be honest with you. I used to think that if we had great music, and I'm not saying we don't, I'm saying if we had great music, and if we did certain things, people would come to church. Well, I've discovered, to my dismay and my disappointment, people come for the pastor whether they like him or not. And people leave because of the pastor. I don't hear people saying at various churches, man, they have a wonderful worship band. They say, my pastor had written seven books and whatever, and he's awesome and, and I like him. And when he starts doing stupid things, they find another church. And I don't hear people saying, you know, I, I go to church because everybody loves me. Everybody knows who I am, and it's awesome. There's so much love at that church. I can't wait to go because they just love me. So like my pastor, he's on TV. Thank God for you. I know I'm a lovable guy. But I believe, at least I hope and pray, that you come not for me, but you come for him. Not for the spectacle, because we're not here to do spectacle. And so maybe that's why we don't always have a large crowd. But that's okay. Because I want people like Mary and Martha who serve and lay at the feet of Jesus and give extravagant offerings. But the chief priest plan to put Lazarus to death also. Lazarus in trouble because Lazarus is the spectacle. We got to get rid of Lazarus because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in him. They were saying, we, we've already conspired to kill Jesus because he isn't going the way we want him to and we might lose our position of power and even our nation if we don't get rid of Jesus. But if we get rid of Jesus, don't get rid of Lazarus, they're going to say, yeah, but Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, you guys made a mistake or whatever, and all these things. And so they understand that they got to get rid of Lazarus because he is the spectacle. So I'm going to leave it there, but I want to go back to the offering. There is a sense, and as I have said, it is an extravagant offering. It was 10 months worth of wages. He did so in a position of that Jesus is an authority and she is his slave. But when you think about it, it really wasn't extravagant. There is a hymn that says, if the whole world, if the realm of the whole world were mine, and I were to give it to him, 
it would be much too small an offer for what he is and what he if we and and let's face it if the whole world if if every government was under my control and all the cattle and all the materials and all of the corporations and all of the businesses were controlled by me and I gave it to the Lord. It's his. I'm giving him nothing. If I give him my life, it is he who gave it to me. It is he who allows me to breathe in and to breathe out. He is the one who set the number of my days. So quite frankly, even though this life is very valuable to me, in the grand scheme of things, it's not even mine. But everything that we do and everything that we have that we think we do and have, we should be giving to him. And that still would not be an extravagant. Oh, we like to come and say that we worship him. And that we give him an offering of praise. Well, other than the few breaths that we took and breathed out, which he gave us to give in and give out, it always reminds me of David when he said, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. I'm caught between a rock and a hard place because I acknowledge that none of it's mine and all of it's his. But maybe I should live like none of it's mine and all of it's and that I will give that stewardship and that management to him so that when I meet him at that what's called Bema seat, he will say, well done, you good and faithful Amen to my will. Rather than saying, I gave you a talent and you buried it in the ground. And you thought that was significant and gave it back. Yeah, Lord, you gave me my life and I lived it my way. Here it's back. We are going to come and we are going to sing a song that's going to talk about making a stand and raising our hands. We should be doing that, not just at the close of this service, but every single hour of every single day for the rest of our lives that God has given. And again, that would not be an extravagant gift. That would simply be a gift no less than he deserved because he is the son of God. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And if he were here, we should be at his feet, cleaning them and worshiping. Because that's where he belongs and where we belong. And all God's people say, Amen.